Let's give it up for our maintenance men, all putting in hard work for the baptism. Look at this. You guys are they're staying late today. We love you guys. Thanks for not flooding the building and doing all the great stuff. Oh, powerful service today. I won't be long, even though I know some of you guys love Jesus so much. You would say, Pastor, preach to me an hour. I know you would say that. I know you would. But just to be generous to your time and kind to you, let's open up our words to Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And for the next few moments, hold me to this, few moments. Everybody say, few moments. I'm going to preach to you about living for Jesus. The book of Titus is written by Paul the Apostle to his spiritual son Titus. Notice what he says here in verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete is that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Titus was given the assignment to build a church and to put it in order. Somebody say, put it in order. Amen. And the number one way for him to do that was to start with elders. Elders are known today primarily as pastors, but if you want to be specific, elders and deacons are offices in the church, known as officers as well, leaders. And then the fivefold ministry gifts are those things that those officers or those leaders do. Let me just show you my point so you don't take my word for it. In the King James, put in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. In the King James, you'll notice that it says about elders and deacons, it will say, whoever desires the office of an overseer desires a noble task. Notice this, 1 Timothy chapter 3, right there, brothers, you guys are doing great. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it calls being an elder an office. Everybody say an office. Thank you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. If uh, we need to get some help, we can. But does anybody have their Bible in King James already? Read it out there for me, George. What does it say? Amen. The office of a what? Of a bishop, overseer, elder. Okay, now you notice it calls it an office. Now if you scroll down a little bit, please, brothers, thank you. It says, also the same can be said about deacons, starting in verse 10. And let them also be proved to use the what of an office, uh, what of a deacon? Office. I confused you and myself. They, let them use the blank of a deacon. Let them use the what? Office. office. Everybody say office. Okay, so do you see there that the office is elder and deacon? So how we should address leaders in the church is by their office. Everybody say office. Office. Once again, that's elder and deacon. Now go to Ephesians chapter 4, and you won't see the word office. You'll see the word gift. Everybody say gift. Thank you. Now notice this here, Ephesians chapter 4. This can be in the NIV, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been what? Okay, the karaoke may be running behind. Hopefully you guys are catching up. Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace has been what? Given. Thank you, as Christ apportioned it. So gifts are given. Does everybody get that? Okay, so we see it's given. Now keep reading. When he ascended on high, and the he there is Jesus, he took many captives, and he gave what to his people? Gifts to his people. And then now it explains what does it mean he ascended. It's the same one that also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself what? Gave. Everybody say gave. 
Amen. Now you'll see fivefold ministry, knock out the devil, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. If you learn something, say amen. Amen. So now you understand offices and gifts. Now going back to Titus chapter 1, please. Paul puts Titus in Crete, a city of that time that was known for its paganism, for its debauchery, a place that was also very wealthy, maybe like our Las Vegas, a wealthy place, a tourist place, but yet very pagan. And this place had experienced a move of God. So Paul, needing to now move on to the next city, the next place, that's where many of your books are named after, cities and places, Ephesians, to the city of Ephesus. My family is from Thessaloniki. Guess what book is named after Thessaloniki? Thessalonians, there you go, right? And Galatia is a region, Rome, Romans, and so forth. So looking at Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I'm leaving you in Crete that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint what? Pastors? No, elders. Now, what do elders do? Elders will be like apostles and sometimes go out and plant churches. Elders sometimes will be like pastors and oversee, shepherd. That's what the word pastor means, by the way, shepherd churches. Others will be like teachers and so forth. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to use their gift. Now, notice what he says here. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife. And he gives them all of these things that these men and women must do, because I believe women will be included in this as well. And if you scroll down to verse 8, he gives that now this charge them. He must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So all of these things that are in between there, sandwiched in there, I wish I had time to go through each one, are things that will be noted among others who look at their lives. They'll be noted as being good. Everybody say good. Thank you. Self-controlled. Amen. Somebody say upright. Somebody say holy. And disciplined. Amen. So, I mean, if you go through those things, you know, blameless, not overbearing. I might as well read them right now, right? Not quick temper, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, and hospitable. Well, if you summarize all of those things, that's being a good person. That's being a self-controlled person. That's being an upright, holy, and disciplined person. Now look at verse 9. He must hold to the message firmly and be trustworthy as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound what? Sound doctrine. Thank you. And now notice this. Refute those who oppose it. I just wonder if there's anybody left in Chicago to be an elder, to set things in place, and to be good and upright, self-controlled, setting things in order, holding on to what's good, refuting what's bad. I'm excited. I know sometimes I get to preach on me. It's entertaining, but it's also inspired, I believe, by the Holy Ghost because I feel Jesus, and I get excited. But I just wonder, is there somebody here that wants to do that? Because I believe we're in a time like Paul was with Titus where Chicago needs to be put in order. There are some things that are out of order in our city. There's things out of order in our country, in our nation. And there needs to be good men and women to rise up to understand who they are and whose they are and to live the Christian life. And when they do that, they can hold on to what they've been given and refute everything else. If anybody knows about football, the Heisman Trophy, the guy's pushing the others away. He's running and he's pushing those other way. That's what we need to do is hold on to the message and push back the powers of darkness. Amen? 
So where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Okay, well, let's start with the Bible. God said in the beginning he created Adam and Eve. Man and woman make children. So homosexuality, LGBT confusion is outside of God's plan for our lives. That's a perversion. Anybody want to set that in order? Come on, see, now that's where the rubber meets the road, right? That's where we go just from being nice Christians on Sunday to being looked at as bigots, homophobes, and so forth. But isn't that part of our responsibility in this city is to show people what a family looks like? Amen. We're, we're not, and I just want to be very clear here, because I know I speak on behalf of the ameners that are here. We at Metro Praise International do not promote violence or harm to anyone that disagrees with us. Can I hear an amen? What we are simply saying is this is the stance we have taken, and this is what we're going to teach. So why are they so threatened by us having that ability to preach it and teach it? They put it in their schools. Why can't we have also our time to put it in the school as well? You want to tell your view on the family, why can't we come in during sex education and tell our view? You want to have, you know, the, the drag queen story hour, how come we can't have Jesus Bible time? You want this man to dress up like a woman and prance around the library, okay, let's be fair, that's what you want to do with your paganism. Now let me bring one of the brothers or sisters here dressed up like Jesus or a character from the Bible and tell them a story. You see, I believe in this culture of freedom of speech that we should have those same opportunities. And yet you will see continually over and over and over again, whether it's from the Grammys or from these different uh, places where people get their awards, it's okay for them to briefly mention God. It's okay for them to talk about this God of the unknown, the, the all-powerful spirit in the sky, you know. But the moment we say our God tells us not to commit abortion, now they're going to pull the mic from them. The moment that, that we hear that the Bible says, well, they're not supposed to be two men or two women. It's supposed to be male and female. Now pull the mic from them. And I want in our culture for people to hear what Christians believe. Somebody say what Christians believe. Amen. And if you don't believe he has to go through it, all you got to do now is read verse 10. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk, deception, especially of those of the circumcised group. This was a group of Jewish people that were trying to cause trouble with the Christians. Now look at what it says here. They must be silenced, not by force, not by us persecuting them, but they must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households, teaching things that ought not to be taught, and this for dishonest gain. So we're going to silence them, but we're not going to do it by turning off their mic or saying they can't have freedom of speech. We're going to do it by confronting them. Now look at... With the truth. Now look at what he says in verse 12. Of Crete's own prophets, it is said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Everybody go, oh, snap. So he basically says, one of your rappers says this about you. Y'all bunch of blankety, blankety blanks. That's what it would be like. One of their poets, one of the Cretans' own poets says, hey, my people are crazy. They're always liars. They're always evil. They're always gluttons. Anybody here from a culture you're telling on yourself right now? I'll tell on my culture of Italians. I'll tell on the culture of the Polish people. I'll tell on the culture of Americans that think Miley Cyrus is, is, a, is a national treasure, okay? I think she needs Jesus, but Miley Cyrus does not represent me. Can I hear an amen? I'll put my culture out there. Now, notice what Paul says in verse 13. This saying is true. You could imagine yourself being in Crete, following Paul, going, hey, Paul, what about me? <laughs> Paul, I'm not, a, I'm not a liar. I'm not a Crete. I mean, I'm not an evil brute. I'm not a lazy glutton. I'm a Cretan. Notice how the Bible can speak in generalities. Somebody say generalities. Sometimes we feel that that is stereotyping, but you have to understand, if you don't make generalities, then every single thing always has to be qualified and you can't say anything. 
The Bible allows generalities if it's based on truth. So sometimes people are like, well, not every person is like this. Not every. Okay, we get it that there's always unique people in the bunch. Not every gangbanger is going to shoot up the block. Some of them actually want to only shoot the one they're shooting at, not intended for. They're not going to just spray bullets everywhere. Okay, but let's talk in general about most gangbangers. You know, you all listening to me? They're just going to shoot out the gun. Not every club goer wants to have promiscuous sex. Some want to wait till they're married. But how many know most at the club will get it on, you know, if you give them a chance. Can I hear an amen to sinners being sinners? Okay. So you see my point. If you qualify every statement by the minority, you can't make any statement. So the Bible allows generalities not to be in a way that is putting people down, but rather to put a mirror in front of their face so they can see who they are. Paul wanted the Cretans to see what they were like on the outside. Has anybody ever traveled outside of Chicago before? If you've ever traveled, can I get an amen? Have you ever told somebody you were from Chicago? <laughs> what did they say about you in your town? <laughs> Come on. They, they think y'all are shooting each other up. Isn't it still said to this day? I was in Texas, and I was in an Uber, and he's like, where are you from? And I'm like, Chicago. He's like, I feel sorry for you. That's exactly what he said to me. Now, I had to tell him not everybody, you know, not everybody in Chicago's like this. Not everybody's doing that. But that's how we're looked at. We're, gener we're generalizing. When I say California, we understand not everybody there is a granola, fruit, nut, and a flake. But how many know there's a lot of fruit, nuts, and flakes out in California? So we make these generalizations, but there's a reason for it. We know there's, not, we know there's good people in California. We know there are people there that have morals in California. But when we look at it from the outside, we're looking at the general uh, reputation. And the Bible says that these people have this reputation and that they weren't wanting to change it in a lot of ways. And so now look at what he says to them, verse 16. They, talking about these troublemakers in that area, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are great people who I love to play pickleball with and hang out with all the time. Is that what it says? It says, by their actions they deny him. They are what? Detestable. Did you ever think you would read the Bible and hear somebody being called detestable? That's in your Bible. That's Paul the Apostle saying, these kind of folks that are in this city that are actually trying to be religious, saying they know God, these folks, they say they know him, but by their actions they deny him. And you know what? They're detestable. They're disobedient. And they're unfit for doing anything good. Somebody say, Lord, have mercy. Do you think anybody in Chicago fits this? Do you think there's anybody in Chicago that's claiming God but not living like God or living for God? They say they know him, but they don't live like him. And do you believe that they're getting to the point where they're detestable? That God is looking at them going, you're detestable, you're disobedient, and I'm not going to expect you to do anything good anymore. I'm just going to judge you. How many think if God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, Belmont and Clark is getting close? How many know God judged the uh, time and generation of Noah's day for their violence? How many know the West Side is getting close? And if God called out people in their time of corruption and for politicians being wrong, how many know we're getting close to being judged because of our corruption and our fake politicians? Right? So you look throughout the Bible, God judges people based on their corruption, based on their violence, based on their perversion. And so you may sometimes feel like you're a lot living in Sodom and Gomorrah, but listen to me. You need to make sure that your people know the Lord because then when it was time for Lot to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, he could only get just his immediate family. There was nobody else willing to follow him. 
So we better be ready to get some people out of, out of judgment with the word of God and our testimony because we have a message of hope for them. Amen? Otherwise, Lot is going out by himself. And listen, I don't want to be the only one on my block going to heaven. I want to bring other people with me. And I don't want to look at these people as they are different than me or in a sense that I can't relate to them because how many know at one time before Christ we were detestable, we were disobedient, unfit for any good work, and if judgment was to come, we would have been a part of it. Hello, somebody. Can I hear an amen? How many are happy judgment didn't happen two years ago? How many are happy Armageddon didn't happen five years ago? How many know you'd be having the mark of the beast on your head right now? But Jesus was merciful and spared you. And I was talking to the woman that, that cuts my hair, and I was talking to her about the end times. And I said to her, you know, sometimes people will think to themselves, if the rapture is true, which we happen to believe, that the believer will be raptured out before the seven years of tribulation, they'll hear that, and they'll say, well, I'll get right with God then. Listen to me, my friends. That's going to be a very hard time to get right with God. I don't know if anybody's seen the new uh, AI videos that have just come out. They are almost now indistinguishable from reality. They just came out from the, the chat GPT, that same you know, monster uh, uh, AI organization that I actually subscribe to, by the way, and use at times. Not going not gonna to lie. <laughs> it does help me write letters. So sometimes if you ever get a letter from me and it uses a lot of big words and they're all spelt right, you just want to just kind of understand I had help from AI. Just, just anyways, I'm going to use it until Jesus comes back. Amen. How am I going to use your phone? You're going to use social media? I'm losing some of you here, but come on. you got to use it for Jesus, okay? Because the first preachers didn't want to use TV and they put, you know, the devil on there and then televangelists got on and tried to reclaim it, but they got in some trouble. But, but listen to me, right? We got to use these resources. But I was looking at this AI video, man. They, they just type in there, uh, show a man doing X, Y, and Z. And this man does not exist, but he looks like a real man reading a book in a library. And, and the library doesn't exist. The man doesn't exist. How many know what I'm talking about? That, that's happening right now. And guess what the Bible says? When the, the, the Antichrist comes, he's going to have so much deception coming behind him, whether it's fake miracles, fake prophecies, the unity of peace, bringing the world together, and, and even possibly getting shot and resurrecting himself, maybe some type of an AI. It says they'll make an image, and the image will talk. The Bible says so much of that deception will be around that if it wasn't shortened, even the elect would not be saved. So anybody here waiting for that trumpet to watch us all leave, and then now you're going to get serious with God? Man, you ain't going to last more than 20 minutes with the Antichrist. Before you know, you'll be getting 666 on your head, worshiping him, going, oh, it isn't that bad. Because he'll convince you. Listen, if, watch this. If they can convince you it was aliens, and then you're going to think we were wrong, and the aliens took us. Now imagine if they could put my face on top of somebody up in a spaceship and say, Joseph's up there with an alien. I'm telling you, they can do it right now. Are you listening? They'll convince people that I'm up there hanging out with aliens. And yet I've gone home to be with Jesus. Somebody say, God, help us. So you have to understand, brothers and sisters, you don't want to wait for the rapture. You don't want to wait till more of those signs come to pass. You want to see right now that this is your time to get right with God. Look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. Amen. Because now I want to help us. I want to help us. How many want to be a part of the solution, not the problem? 
Amen. Now go to chapter 2, verse 1. This is what I want us to do. Look at what he says here. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be tempered, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in their ways, not to be slanders, addicted to too much wine. How many know he's talking to somebody there? Come on. But to teach what is good, that they can urge young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one maligns the word of God. How many know if husbands and wives knew their role, the families would be different and our culture would be different? It was the mother of the Kardashians that actually pushed them forward. So instead of that older woman, that older woman teaching her family how to do things right, she taught them how to be, you know, not righteous, but ratchet. Come on, somebody say, God have mercy. And instead of the man, when, when they got married, you know, finally to Jenner, instead of him teaching his family how to be righteous, he taught them how to be even more ratchet. Imagine dad becomes mom number two. Oh, I got two moms now? Hello, somebody. You got to stop keeping up with the Kardashians and start keeping up with the Holy Ghost. And you might say to yourself, well, pastor, man, I don't keep up with it. A hundred million people do. There's a lot of people that do. This is what our culture is being influenced. We can't just put our head in the sand and say uh, supposed Caitlyn Jenner, you know, the, the man trying to be a woman is not influencing anybody. He's influencing a generation. A generation to think like that, and yet the Bible says the exact opposite. So where do we start with putting our families in order, putting our culture in order? Men and women knowing their roles. And then look at verse 6. Similarly, teach the young men to be self-controlled in everything to set them as an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. How many know if we said, I double dog dare you to say something bad about Christians? I bet you can't. How many know people would be like, I'll take that dare right now. I got a hundred things to say against Christians. But I want to live in a culture of Christianity. I want to live in a church where if we say, say something about bad about Metro Praise, the only thing they can say is we love God and hate sin. Hello? Y'all listening to me? Well, your pastor, your pa- my pastor did what? Preached to you, rebuked you, gave you the word what? Because you still got the same wife, hasn't stolen, hasn't cheated, preaches the same doctrine, and what? Hello, see, that's what I'm talking about. I want you to be supportive of what I'm doing like I'm supportive of you. I don't want anybody to come to me and say, oh, well, you have a member of your church, and they're cheating on their spouse, and I'm here to tell you I'm the other woman or the other man and all of these things. I'm telling you, we've had all, mess- all kinds of messes in the church. I've even had a landlord come to our church and say, you have a member here that hands out flyers to go to Bible studies, and yet they're not paying the rent trying to squat, get their three months for rent before I take them to court. That happened in this church. You know what I told that person? I said, pay your rent or get out the church. Because you ain't going to have a landlord slander in our name. We ain't about that. And I, I long for the day where the people know to come to church to get you an order on the job. They say they're a member of your church, but they're stealing from my job. Pastor, what you going to do? We will put it in order in the church. That's, by the way, why they swear upon a Bible, not the Bhagavad Gita, because they know they can get away with some stuff on the Bhagavad Gita. But you swear on this, you're supposed to do something different. Can I get an amen to that? You swear on this, you're supposed to do something different. Don't get me talking about Hinduism, other religions, even the Quran. You can get away with sex trafficking in the Quran. In Hinduism, you can get away with uh, classism. You can get away with racism. You can get away with, you know, a perversion there. I can tell you stories out of those books. But this right here, you can't get away with it. Every now and then they say, oh, well, your people acted bad too. Yeah, and they got judged. Which one you want to talk about? Well, David did X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and he got judged. We don't support it in Jesus' name. In other words, what Muhammad was praised for in the Quran, David was cursed for in the Bible. 
I said, oh, y'all listening to me? What Muhammad is praised for, taking multiple wives, sex slaves, and killing people in the name of his God, he is praised for in the Quran. And in the Bible, when David acted like that, he was cursed and had the kingdom of God divided after he died from his son's children. Are you all listening to me? We don't make excuses for them. When Abraham didn't act right, Abraham got dealt with. When David didn't act right, David got dealt with. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible says God sent his one and only son. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. My example, first and foremost, is not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, or David, or Abraham. It's Jesus Christ, the anointed one. I'll put my Jesus next to any world figure that you want, and Jesus comes out on top every time. How many know if you're having a, a Pokemon battle of morality, you're picking Jesus every time? I don't know how those kids do it, but, you know, they fight for those characters, you know? What's the one that you really want? What's his name? That little one, that one that, 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 that got so much money behind him, everybody trying to buy that one. Which one? Pikachu, right? And that's the one that the Logan guy wanted, that original Pikachu card or something? Yeah. I'll put Jesus Christ over Pikachu anytime. You're going to burn him up, Holy Ghost. Fire. Are you listening? I know it sounds a little silly when I say it like that, but I'm telling you, I'll put our historical Jesus against their miss any day, and Jesus comes out on top. One time there's a story, and I'll just tell you one about Krishna. Krishna was watching the maidens bathe, and he, this is in Hinduism, so everybody tries to say, Krishna, Christ, Krishna, oh, they're the same. No, house, mouse, they're the same. See, don't play the stupid game. If it sounds alike, it's alike. Are you listening? But that's what people will tell you. I was talking to a Hindu man. That's what he was trying to tell me, that they sound the same, they're like the same. No, they're not. They're totally different. Krishna is hanging out watching the young maidens bathe. They're naked there in their time of bathing. He then takes their clothes, hides them in the tree, and makes every single one of them come to him naked to get their clothes back and affirm that he's God and he's worthy of worship. Is there any wonder that New Age gurus start having sex with naked girls all the time? Hello, watch the documentaries of cults. It always sounds the same. We're going to be spiritual, and the next thing they're on a commune all having sex with each other, and the guru is getting it the most. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm not lying to you. That's the truth. Why? Because when Krishna saw the naked ladies, he said, let's find some way to express your nudity in this public setting. And if, and if you don't doubt me, I'll put the picture up right now. Don't even look at me crazy. Krishna with the maidens, and you'll see an X-rated thing right here. How many have ever been to the Catholic church and saw Jesus hanging out with Mary and Martha, and they were having their breasts hanging out naked? Y'all ever seen that picture in the cathedral? Y'all get quiet when the preacher talk like that. <laughs> No, I'm serious. Do you ever see Jesus hanging out and Mary's topless and all that? No, but you can put up right. I'm just so close to doing it, but we ain't going to disgrace this place. <laughs> Solomon's like, I ain't going to do it. I'm telling you, and I love, because I've been to India three times. I love them. I, I love the people of India. I pray for them. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, it's not the same. I could be here with other. I could tell you the story of Ganesh. I could tell you that it is not the same. Everybody say, it's not the same. Somebody say, we're different. Say, we're not ashamed. Amen. We're not ashamed, but our culture has now made Christians ashamed because we have backslid. That's what the Bible said would happen if we acted like this. The Bible literally said that the name of God would be blasphemed among the Gentiles because the people of God live in sin. How many know we've come to that time now? We're watching pastors in adultery get caught, and then they say, whoopsie, and the church applauds them and wants them to keep, keep on preaching. We forgive you, pastor. Don't leave. One pastor, I could, you know, I could go into more details, but I won't, was trying to actually resign because his board wanted him to resign, and people are shouting out, don't leave. And I'm like, let the joker leave, man. 
But they're just like, please, please stay and keep pimping us. Please, please. And you know why people are like that? People are like that because it makes them feel good about their sin. When I now know that my pastor's having side hookups and all that, now I don't feel bad about my side hookups. Now I see my pastor's hooked on pornography. I don't feel bad about me being in pornography. That's why here we live H-O-L-Y to the day I D-I-E die. We live in holy in this place, amen? Because it's not me, it's the God in me. We're going to set a standard high. I don't want to be ashamed of my behavior, whether it's at home or with my wife or on the streets. I want you to know that there's holy men and women of God. Come on, somebody say, help us, Jesus. Amen. I just want to encourage us just a few more moments after our baptism today to live for Jesus because he's worth it. When Paul told Timothy to do these things and he spoke to these different folks, he was not just setting up something that they can never achieve. It was something they were supposed to do. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to how many people? All people. Somebody say, all people. Amen. All people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Anybody old enough to remember uh, Mrs. Reagan? What was her name? Nancy Reagan. And the, and the stand against drugs, just say does anybody remember that? If, you, if not, you might have heard it before, but that was her answer to drugs. Just say no, boys and girls. And I remember hearing that as a kid, and anybody remember from back then? It was dare, you know, and you had to stand against drugs. And then it, it was a frying pan. This is drugs, and this is your mind, and your mind is the egg, and this is your mind on drugs. <laughs> and they would show that little egg frying there. Now we're putting up dispensaries instead of churches, and we wonder why we're still broken, busted, and messed up in our city. We need to see dispensaries become churches again, and counselors become pastors and for schools to become places where they learn about who they are in Christ. So notice this, that you have here this doctrine that's being taught to people that they can say no to ungodliness and yet there's certain folks that don't want to say no, they want to say yes. How many want to say no to sin but yes to Jesus? But these folks were saying yes to sin and no to godliness. And it says we are to say no to ungodliness. Worldly passion, passion, live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait, hallelujah, for the blessed hope, the appearing of our glorious great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody say he's our great God. Come on, say he's our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify to himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This, then, is what you teach. This is what you do. Encourage, rebuke with all authority. Don't let anybody despise you. Can we have the band come back, please? How many are ready to do this? Amen. I want to encourage those of you here that came to get baptized to look at your scriptures this week and to do what it says. Say no to ungodliness. Say yes to Jesus Christ. Teach it to other people. Set it in order. You can be an elder. You can be a leader in this community. People need to look up to you and find the answer, and his name is Jesus, and they need to see Jesus on the inside of you. Amen? They need to see Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the afternoon, Jesus when you go to bed. They need to see Jesus on your good days and on your bad days. They need to see Jesus when you sin and when you win. They need to see how you ask for forgiveness when you mess up and how you give them praise when you do good. We need a culture that gets baptized as the folks did today. We need to see our politicians baptized in the power of Christ with sins washed away. We need to see even our religious leaders baptized in the things of God, coming up righteous, holy, 
Oh, to God that our culture shone like lights in the night sky, as the Bible says. You will be like the stars of the sky, the Bible says. Oh, that we would be that brother and sister today. I know we're in a city that's just like Crete. We're in a place where there's a lot of evil, but Jesus has an answer, and it starts with you and me. I look at where I go in my everyday life, and I ask the Lord daily, how can I be a witness here? How can I be a witness when I get my hair cut? How can I be a witness when I go to the grocery store? How can I be a witness to my neighbor? Those are the things that are going to make a difference. It's not just niceanity that changes the world. It's Christianity. It's not just doing nice things every now and then. It's telling people the gospel. It's telling people the good news of Jesus Christ because there is no other answer. Oftentimes when we go out and preach uh, on the streets, people will say to us, you're wasting your time. And I shout back at him and I, you know, try to think of whatever money I have in my wallet. And I'll say, I'll give you 20 bucks if you tell me what I should be doing better with my time. $20, come on, come on back here. Tell me something better I should be doing with my time than preaching about Jesus Christ changing the world. Well, you should go get a job and make money. What, you don't know people have jobs and money that blow their brains out? If jobs and money were the answer to happiness, how come all y'all weren't happy with just jobs and money? Why wasn't Robin Williams happy with jobs and money? Hello? Because it's not just jobs and money, is it? And then sometimes I'll then say to him, well then, what's the purpose of life? Then you tell me. And then sometimes, you know, you will get an honest answer. They'll say, my family, you know, doing good to others. And then I say back to them, what do you do when they do bad to you? <laughs> you ever met somebody who went through a divorce? You ever, ever, ever met somebody where the children turn bad on the parents? You see, friends, if you don't have a reason to stick through those things, you'll go bitter in life. If you don't have a reason to stick through love and to stick with people, you're going to turn bitter instead of getting better. Right. What are you going to do when someone in your family cheats on you? What are you going to do when your kids don't want to be around you anymore? What are you going to do when family fights come? If family is the only purpose in life, what are you going to do when family lets you down? I have family right now that doesn't even speak to each other. One side of the family doesn't speak to the other side because when the mom, the matriarch, passed away, they fought over the inheritance. I'll tell my family stories up here and keep it real. Don't tell me family's the meaning of life. When I have cousins that haven't spoken to each other for 10, 15 years, haven't even met each other's children, and then I have another one of those same cousins, well, we don't know if she committed suicide or was murdered, but she's dead and no one's telling the truth because they don't think we deserve it on our side. Don't tell me about family being the answer to life. That's not the answer. I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. But listen to me. I got to love someone more than that. I've got to have a purpose that's greater than that. Because what if she gets tired of my bowling ball head? What if she gets tired of messing with all my stank and my, my attitude and leaves me alone? What am I going to do then? I read a suicide note from a man when his wife left him. And it was one of the most depressing thing in the world because that was what his life was. And then you read about parents who lose their children to college and these things. And, then you know, they, they're empty nesters now. I had to help a mother. She was even a Christian. Deal with her depression because she was an empty nester. Because she put all of her well-being, all of her life in her children's baseball games and her son's accomplishments. And then she, when the son left, she was left by herself. She didn't know who she was anymore. 
Listen, before you are a mother, a father, a husband, or a wife, you are a son and a daughter of the King Most High. You belong to the family of God. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never do you wrong. He'll always love you. Hallelujah. He'll speak well of you. He'll comfort you when you're sad. He'll lift you up when you're down. He'll give you strength when you're weak. And he'll never reject those who come to him. That's my Jesus. He's the fairest of 10,000, the bright morning star, and he's married to his church. Hallelujah. And so because of that, think about that, because of that, you can become a great husband or wife because now you're not codependent upon that person to give you your worth. Your worth comes from God, and now you can share that with others. As some people say, in a marriage, 50-50, no, that will leave you broke, busted, and disgusted. It needs to be 100 and 100 because there's nothing in your love tank you can fill their love tank up with if they don't have God already filling them up to the brim. I just bring the overflow in Jesus' name. But if she was empty in her heart. I can never fill that hole in her soul. It can only be filled by the love of God. Once she's got the love of God right, then I can be a part of the overflow into her life. Can I hear an amen from somebody who's tried to love people's empty soul and it never really came about? Because if all it was was human love, then there would be no divorce. I've married people that are already divorced. One of the first people I married already got a divorce. I'm telling you, I've seen it. And if you ask every single one of them at that altar, do they love each other? They do. And I don't think they're lying. It's just what they don't understand is that unless God brings them together, anything can tear them apart. But if God brings them together, nothing in this world or in hell itself can tear apart that kind of a marriage. And I know some of y'all have been through it the wrong way and you're waiting for the right way. And let me tell you not to lose hope. And don't keep listening to the one that's had four baby daddies let them down. Listen to the one that's been married for 20 years. Your Boaz is coming in the name of Jesus. Somebody that will care for you and love you. And it may not always be the way you want it, but it will come just on time the way God had planned it and ordained it. If all it was was human love, then there would be no family dysfunction. Because I believe even in those dysfunctions, as I'm talking about my cousins, they love each other. I don't think that, that they're lying when they say that, but they have no way to get over their bitterness. I don't think that the couples who I marry that end up getting divorced, I don't think they're lying. I think they mean it. But what they don't understand is that their love can only go so far. I consider what we do in this world and our love and our greatest love. I'm talking about the love my wife and I have for our children. It's like a thimble compared to the ocean of God's love. The Bible says, who knows the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of God. The love of God is beyond all of our understanding. And so that's why he tells us to put him first. Because when we put him first, he'll take care of everything else that comes next. If I put God first in my marriage, he's going to take care of me and my wife. If I put God first in my family, he's going to take care of me as a father. Brothers and sisters, we need a culture that stands on the word of God again. Listen to what he says towards the end of this letter. He says to them, grace be with you all. There is no way, chapter 3, verse 15, we can do this without the grace of God. 
Christianity, listen, brothers and sisters, is the only relationship that tells you it's not you reaching up to God, but God reaching down to you. It's not you doing your part and then God doing his part. It's God doing his part so that your part can be done. He said, take my yoke upon you and, and, and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. How many know God is good to us? He gives us the ability to live for him. He gives us the ability to be forgiven when we don't even live for him. When every other religion is saying, do, 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 when they're all telling you the doo-doos of their religion. Jesus is saying, it is finished. It is done. It is done. Oh, you've got problems in your life? Okay, here's how you fix your problems. Start eating vegetarian. Become vegan. Do the crooked chicken for five hours a day. Find yourself a guru and a mantra. Hmm. And they tell you to do, 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 do. Oh, if you want to get your life right, go talk to Father Tom in that dark closet. And then make sure you give your money here so that you can get your indulgences. And then go to Rome and climb up those steps on your knees and look for a water-stained bridge of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And do, 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 do. And Jesus says, it is finished. It's done. It's done. Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. God says to all of his people, the righteous, the just shall live by faith. Live by faith. I had my Muslim friend from Morocco. We were arguing back and forth politely, gently, ended in handshakes and hugs. I loved him. But he was saying to me, I just can't accept that I trust God for my good works. I believe I have to do my good works to be saved. So I said to him, how many good works do you have to do to make up for one sin? What is the weight ratio from sin to do good works? Because this is what the Bible says, the one sin of Adam and Eve had them cast out of the garden and damned the whole world to hell. How do you make up for that one sin, just the sin of disobedience one time, not to mention all of the list of sins you have? See, they're taught like, like Hinduism and Buddhism and a lot of these faiths are taught like you do one bad thing, you can do a good thing, now you're back to even. You do a good thing, now you're up one. Oh, don't do a bad thing, now you're back to even. How many understand what I'm talking about? Even modern-day Catholics will talk like that. I'm a good person. What makes you a good person? Why well, do more good than I do bad? That is a devil's lie. One evil puts your scale into the pits of hell. Impossible to ever make up with your good works according to God. Do you want to know why? Because every good work you try to do is still stained by the evil that was done there. You're a broken hard drive trying to fix yourself. You're uh, an AIDS patient trying to give yourself blood transfusion from your left hand to your right hand. Everything you touch now is already sinful, and so the more good you try to do, you're adding sin into it. So I asked him, I said, how do you get free from your sin? And the cycle of what they would call karma in the New Age Hinduism or in Islam, how do you get free from your evil works? Well, I just do good. I just do more good. And I said, you can never keep up with it. You can never pay back. You can never earn your way there. I said, that's the reason why sacrifice was introduced into the Bible. How many have thought that was kind of strange maybe when you read the Bible or killing stuff? But how many now know it makes sense? The reason why they would kill an animal and make a sacrifice is because what they were saying as God commanded them is that my sin equals death. I need to be forgiven by blood for the blood that I have shed in my sin. In other words, if my sin were to be judged today, I would be dead like that animal.
But because God is merciful, that animal will die, and then we can have some out of chatter, hallelujah. And then we can now say that that blood has forgiven us. But what does the Bible say? That was only a type and a shadow. What would you rather have, my phone or the shadow of my phone? So what would you rather have, bulls being sacrificed or Jesus' sacrifice? You see, the bull's sacrifice, the lamb's sacrifice, was a shadow of Jesus' sacrifice. So when the Bible says the grace of God has appeared through Jesus Christ to tell us to say no to ungodliness, that is not only forgiveness kind of grace, that is empowering grace to go and sin no more. How many believe that? Everybody talks about what Jesus said to the adulterous woman. How many have heard this said when you're preaching to people? He was without sin, cast the first stone. And they take that out of context because what is Jesus teaching there? That hypocrites have no right to preach. The Jewish people were bringing this woman in adultery saying, what do we do? But they didn't bring the man. Probably the man was one of them in the room because how'd they know to go get her anyway? If I said to you right now, I'll give you $5 if you can bring me a prostitute, how many know most of you would go, I don't know where to start? How many know there's others of you that would go, hello, uh, can you come to the church real quick? Come on, let's be real. Come on. I I wouldn't, (laughs) I'm just going to tell you right now, I wouldn't know how to get one in this church, but some of you have them on speed dial, at least you used to. Okay, you all listening to me? How did those Jewish men know to get that woman? Somebody had to know where that woman was doing business and was probably a customer. Are you listening? And so Jesus says, y'all hypocrites. He was without sin, cast the first stone. So if we're going to bring judgment, let's bring it on everybody. And unless you're perfect, you can't be judging everybody. But that doesn't mean he just said to her, hey, come on up here, girl. Get back to your OnlyFans. You know I love you. I'll see you around. Jesus is your homeboy. I've seen girls on OnlyFans defend being on OnlyFans as a Christian. I don't know if anybody's ever watched these shows, but Lila Rose and others have been on these shows as Christians trying to talk to these OnlyFans girls. They're dressed somewhat appropriately. They're not naked there. And then they have these debates, and some even have crosses on, and they say, I do this for Jesus. I'm a Christian. What problem does God have? See, that's what they're, th- they're thinking is that first part of the woman caught in adultery. Don't judge me. Y'all ain't without sin. You can't cast a stone. But please put it up there, John chapter 8, the beginning part. What does he then say to her? Where are your accusers, woman? She says, they've all gone, Jesus. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. And then he says, now just go about your way and have a good day. No, scroll down a little bit. When he says to her, where are your accusers? And she says, nobody else is here. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Look at what he says back to her. Help a preacher preach. Scroll down a little bit. He says, go now and leave your life of what? Sin. Sin. Yes, he loves us just the way we are. But too much to let us stay that way. Does Jesus love OnlyFans? Absolutely. But too much to let him stay that way. Does he love the men looking at OnlyFans? Absolutely. But too much to let him stay that way. Does he love gangbangers? Does he love abortionists? Does he love those on Belmont and Clark? Absolutely. Does he love the corrupt politician? Does he love all of these folks that we would consider in sinful lifestyles? Absolutely. But he loves them too much to let them stay that way. Now listen, brothers and sisters, if he said that to them, If he said that back then, what is he saying to us right now? He's saying, leave that life of sin. Put it behind you. I'm I'm saying to you right now, since being a Christian, I have sinned. But I sin less every day with Jesus Christ. Are you all tracking with me? I may not be sinless, but I sin less every day I walk with Jesus. Is there anybody here that has a testimony you can look back on and say, I'm not maybe where I should be or I'm not perfectly where I'm always supposed to be, but how many know you're not where you used to be? Amen. 
How many believe that today? I'm not telling you that I haven't sinned since being a Christian. I'm just saying I've sinned less since being a Christian. And every day with Jesus, it gets sweeter and sweeter. And here's the big thing before we go, brothers and sisters, thank you for your patience, is that we just don't make excuses anymore. We just don't try to claim Christianity and don't care. We actually care now. So if you see your brother in sin, you talk to them. And, you, and if you're the one that's being called out in sin, you humble yourself. You receive it. That's why in this church we do discipleship. I've had other Christians that I've known throughout my years in our churches argue with me online in front of you folks who have come to us to get discipleship. Some this is their first church, first baptism and so forth. And I have to argue with some boomer backslidden Christian about accountability because he said, if this between me and God will keep you in your sin just between you and God while I confess my sin to my brother and my sister so that I can have power in my hour of need and have somebody pray for me because where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's there. James 5, 6, 6, 5, 16 in closing. We don't confess sins to brothers and sisters as a person does to a priest to receive, a, 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 to be absolved. We confess our sins one to another that we can be healed and forgiven and made prosperous in our walk with God. Highlight it, please, man of God, because I guarantee you most Christians ain't never read this. Father Tom gets excited when you read this. Therefore, confess your sins to Father Tom in a closet. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? Confess your sins what? To each other. Just to Father Tom? No, to each other. And then what do you do? Pray for each other so that you may be healed. People got trauma, but they need to get sanctified. People got you know, trouble in their mind, but they need to have a testimony of the peace of God that passes understanding. People have fallen into temptation, and they need to learn how to stand on the Word of God. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you know that I've had Roman Catholics try to argue with me praying to the saints from this? Because they go, you know what? They go, they go, well, you know what? The Bible says that, you know, for unrighteous, our prayers really don't get heard. Because the Bible does say that the prayer of the unrighteous is not a blessing to the Lord. It's a curse. He does not hear them. How I many know what I'm talking about? The book of Proverbs. I can show it to you. So they say that. And then they go, but the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then they say, well, that's why you got to pray to Mary. Because you're not righteous. She is. But hold on. How did Mary become righteous? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Put in there in the next tab, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because I want to tell you something. I'm not ratchet anymore. I'm now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In the same way Mary became a saint, I become a saint right now. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. That in him, we, somebody say we, we might become what? The righteousness of God. Now going back to that James passage, what does it say next? Elijah was a human being even as we are. And when he prayed that it would not rain, it did not rain. I'm like Elijah in the righteousness of God. And when I pray, my prayers get answered. Is there anybody here going to pray today so that others can make it today? Would you stand up and bless the Lord with me? Come on, somebody say, I'm here, Jesus. Come on, I'm here to be used by you, Jesus. Bless him, bless him. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Come on, we bless you today, Lord. Band and altar workers, would you come? Going back to that passage, please hear me. The grace of God not only is the forgiveness of sin, it's the power to not sin. The grace of God, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please. The grace of God is our power in the hour of need. How many have ever been in temptation before, but it felt so great you didn't know what to do? Am I the only one here? One person said amen. 
How many of you have ever been in temptation before? It was strong and you didn't know what to do. Amen. That's my son. He runs up to the altar. He claps all the time. He loves Jesus. How many believe my son has a call of God on his life? He's not afraid of these altars. Some of you are. Have as much courage as my son today and get to this altar if you need to get right. Have somebody pray for you. Go ahead and scroll down a little bit, brother. 1 Corinthians 12. Notice this right here, verse 8. Notice this. Go to verse 8. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. How many have prayed that prayer before? Why? Because you feel it, don't you? You feel temptation. You feel the power of it. How is it I've been free from pornography since 96? Self-will? No. I've died to the self and alive to Christ. Listen to what the Bible says. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Anybody who ever says to me, I can't, I truly applaud them for admitting that. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous type stuff. Hello, everybody. My name's Paul. Hi, Paul. And I'm an alcoholic. All right, Paul, now tell us your problems. I understand that, and I applaud that. Good job. You've admitted your weakness. But when do you now start to admit your strength in Jesus Christ? When do you go from looking only at your weakness to the strength that's found in Jesus? You see, Paul said, I understand I can't do this, but, but God's power is made perfect in my weakness. So anybody that's ever been tempted, ever been to that place where you feel discouraged, listen to me, brothers and sisters. You're in the perfect place for God's power. You're in the perfect place for God's power because the healthy, as Jesus said, don't think they need a doctor. It's those who admit they're sick. When I talk to somebody on the streets and they go, man, I'm good. I don't need Jesus. I try to tell them they're not good. I'm like, you're not good without God. And then they argue with me. They go off still as much of a sinner as they used to be. But somebody who goes, man, I'm not right. I'll admit it. I'm not doing good. That one God will work with because now they're admitting their need for a Savior. I love what Ray Comfort said. He said, imagine being on a plane one day and you see somebody with a parachute strapped on, on a normal plane, right? You're going to look at them like they're crazy. How many are going to do that? You're going to think, you know, there's something wrong with them. But if they told you, man, this plane's about ready to crash, how many are you going to be like, I'm going to hold on to you? How many know if they had a parachute on and told you this plane's going to crash, how many know you'd be like, I'm holding on to you, buddy? Right? There's a difference now in that man. Chances are he's crazy, though, in our world, right? But just imagine he's got a parachute on, and he says to you, the only reason I got this on is because this thing is going to crash. Now, if you believe that person, you believe them, when people started making fun of them, what would you say? You would say, mind your own business, man. This guy knows something you don't. Don't make fun of Leave him alone, right? And if you started to see an engine at mid-flight, catch on fire, and you start to see everything going wrong, how many know you're not going to be the only one trying to hold on to that guy? Are you listening to me? Because as he has that only parachute and starts heading out that plane happy like he's on some, you know, movie, like, you know, James Bond, he's about ready to jump out that thing. Everybody else is like, get me one, give me one. Everybody listen to me. This is life. And people are looking at us Christians and they think we're crazy, but they need to understand this thing is going to crash. This thing we know as the world is going to crash. We didn't get here from the goo to the zoo to you. We are made in the image of God. This did not come from a nothing exploding a long time ago. It was a big bang. God said it, and bang, it happened, okay? I can help your science teacher understand that. But listen to me. We're going to give an account to that God. And on that day, you better have that parachute, Jesus Christ. And so right now, admitting your weakness, that's actually the best thing you can do. That's the best thing you can do. Man, I can't do this without God. I feel weak without God. We've had people here confessing the baptismal tank. They deal with homosexuality, transgender. That's the best thing they can do. We've had gangbangers say, man, that's what I used to do. Did you guys not hear the testimonies today? That's the one God saves. 
So listen to me. If you think you're too good for this or you're a goody two-shoe, you're going to miss the whole point of what Jesus did on the cross. He died for sinners. All you have to do is admit you're the sinner that he died for. And then you're saved. And then look at what the Bible says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. How many have heard the Bible say, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? That's every day for a Christian. Whenever I face temptation and I give in to it, God reminds me of these scriptures and says, that was your will being done, not my will. When Jesus was about ready to go to the cross, he said, not my will, but your will. Think about those times you have sinned. What was it really? It was a battle of the will. And you took your will and said, that's what's getting done today, Jesus. I'm doing that. That's what I'm doing, right? I'm doing my will. And God's like, well, you're going to get your bill after you do your will. How many know there's a bill for your will that you're going to have to pay? Now, thankfully, he's patient with us. But how many have had to pay some bills on their wills? Had to come back and make up for some things they did wrong. Say sorry to the children. Restore broken relationships. I'm tired of paying the bills for my will. I'm tired of looking at broken relationships. I'm tired of having to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The merry-go-round of sin. Oh, God, forgive me. I'll never do it again. Oh, but it feels so good, and I am tempted. Oh, I did it. Oops, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. I feel so bad, but yeah, oh, it tempts me again. I want to get out of the gerbil race. The Bible says that for the righteous, it's a highway of holiness, not a cycle of insanity. The cycle of insanity, doing the same things, expecting different results. That's what it looks like in the life of sin. But the life of holiness is going from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. God is getting us on the highway of holiness, and he leads us in the paths. Listen to what the psalmist said. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Hallelujah. Put it up in closing. Psalm 23. Leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. One more time. Say it with me. God leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then, yea, what? Though I walk through those valleys, those troubles of life, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Just a few moments before we go, think about a shepherd holding a sheep saying, I got you. There's lions all around you, but I got you. You may hear bears, but I got you. You feel that rod next to you? That's me protecting you. Come on, somebody, think about God holding you like that today. You will fear no evil because God is with you. His rod and his staff, they will strengthen you, and he will set before you a table before the presence of your very enemies. He helped me preach he will anoint your head with oil hallelujah and your cup will overflow say it like you mean it surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever shout hallelujah if you believe it hallelujah father as we get ready to dismiss i pray that we will get this word in our soul today You didn't hate the Cretans. You weren't against them. You loved them. But you loved them enough to tell them the truth with Paul and Titus. Help us now to do our part. Help us to follow you. Not the do-do-do's of this world, but the done of the cross. Help us to hold on to the grace. Help us to refute and to win the battle of the worldviews, God, wherever we're challenged in grace and truth. To believe that you're with us. 
You're not leaving us, oh God. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're going through it today, you're going through a valley, would you just reach up your arms and ask Jesus to be with you? It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or haven't been one yet. Just raise up your hands and call on Jesus. Ask him to be with you. If you haven't been a Christian before, call him Lord. He'll come into your life. Say, Jesus, I need you as the Lord, the boss of my life. I surrender all to you. A few moments before we go, we'll change your life. For the rest of us here, come on, look at your life. Are there any struggles? Are there any temptations that really get you down sometimes? Don't look at your strength. Look at the strength of God. For as surely as he went to the cross to forgive you of sin, he rose on the third day to empower you to live a new life free from sin. As surely as you were born once naughty by nature, you are now born again into the divine nature of God. A few moments before we leave, somebody talk to Jesus and ask for the grace of God to surround you, to lead you, to cover you. We need you, Jesus. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness. Hallelujah. Forgive us, Lord. Transform us, Lord, from the inside out transform our marriages. How many marriages need to be healed from the inside out? Ask the grace of God to come in your hour of weakness and give you the power you need all over your family, all over your children. How many need it on their job this week? It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. We'll dismiss in just a moment, but come on, it's the grace of God that can change your life. It can change mine. It will keep us. God's grace is so powerful. We're going to close out in just a few moments. These altars will be open for anyone who wants to pray, confessing their weakness one to another, not to as a priest, but to as a brother or sister. But before we go, would you just sing this out with me? It's an old hymn. And I surrender all. Come on, I surrender all. And I surrender all. All to Jesus. And all Let's sing it again. Let's sing it again. You can say thee or Jesus when you get to that part. But I surrender. I surrender my marriage. I surrender my family. Oh, I need you, Jesus. Oh, to God that politicians would surrender. Oh, to God that we would surrender as a culture. Oh, I and then we'll go all to Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely Come on up if you would like prayer before we go. We'll leave these altars open even after dismissal. But come on up now. You don't have to wait. If God's tugging on your heart, one more time all to Jesus.
surrender my family. I surrender my ups, my downs, my sins, my wins. Hallelujah. My fears, my failures, my dreams. I surrender. Come on, just the piano and the voices. I surrender all. that sister Jessica would close us in prayer and we'll leave these altars open with worship. Father God, we just thank yes, you, God. Lord. We thank you, Lord, for who Jesus. you are, God, and we just love you, God, and we just want to honor you and, and glorify your name, God, and we just pray right now as we leave this building that we remember and acknowledge the God that loves us, the God, the creator of this earth, oh God. And God, I just pray right now that we just surrender it all, not just today, but, but through, not just today, God, but through our, through our lives, oh God. Yes, yes. Whether it's, you know, in the, in the job, Lord God, in our families, God, that we surrender it. Surrender whatever hinders us, God, to going whole, wholeheartedly for you, God. I just pray right now that we surrender, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.